pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now to hear from you and from your word. I pray that you would speak to each one of us wherever we're at, that you would encourage us, that you convict us, that you draw us near to yourself and make us more like Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. So said Robert Murray McShane, and that goes for everyone, not just men, of course. What, when someone is on their knees before God, that they are, and nothing more. What do you think about that quote? Do you agree with it? I do, and I think there's truth in it. It basically says that being in God's presence exposes who we really are. That when we approach God in prayer, our heart shows itself for what it is, either as humble or prideful or God-fearing or lackadaisical. That God's presence exposes both holiness and hypocrisy, faith and fakery. We live in a very individualistic age and culture where everything is about me, myself, and I. And over the years, that crept into the church with an overemphasis, I would say, on individual faith, where people will say or think that my faith is between me and God. And I think in recent times, churches have tried to correct this thinking, pointing out how biblical faith is always rooted in community. Your faith cannot only be you and Jesus. But in emphasizing these truths, we run the risk of swinging the pendulum and acting as though community life is all that matters, not your private spirituality. But this should never have been a question of either or. Yes, healthy faith must be rooted in good and godly community. But healthy faith will also have a truly individual side as well. There is such a thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. We're commanded to love the Lord before we love our neighbors. And your personal spiritual life or private piety is crucial to that end. After all, in community... You can put on a good front or put on a good act. You can trick a whole lot of people about who you really are. But there's no fooling God. Who you are in God's presence is who you really are. If that scares you at all, don't worry. There's still hope for you. Because Jesus came to take people who were far away from God and to bring them near. So no matter how far away you find yourself today, you can come close to the Lord and draw near to Him. Or you can come back to what your relationship with God was meant to be. And I think this is vital for today because many of us are very alone right now. Isolated. And in 
the absence of full community, I think it's not only valuable for us to press into our personal walk with God as it can help sustain us, but it's also an invaluable opportunity right now to let God do some heart work on you and on us. What I want to do today is give you a, a song to sing from your heart to God. And it's very much a song you can sing in community or when you are alone with God. A song that can express your trust in God no matter where you find yourself. After all, trust is arguably the core attitude that we should have when coming before God. You could call it faith or belief or trust, but when we approach God, our utter dependence on Him should be on full display. We must trust that He loves us and saves us and hears us, responds to us. Without this, God's Word says that it's actually impossible to please Him. So, please take a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 62. To Psalm 62, I hope you can have a Bible at home you can grab, or like we talked about, you can grab, you can find one online or on an app, and go to Psalm 62. I think that God has been providentially guiding us in what we've talked about as a church family lately. I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen in our world in the near future. But think about what we went through. We recently looked at Matthew 6, which talks about both wealth and anxiety, as well as the Lord's Prayer, teaching us how to pray. We talked about worship, not knowing that we'd be worshiping in unique ways, in unique situations now. And then we wanted to dive a good amount into the Psalms together this year. And the Psalms, I believe, can be lifelines for us right now. So whether or not we feel prepared for this crisis, I think God has been preparing us for it through his word. And we have committed to going to the Psalms once a month in order to relearn to sing the songs together. And just because we're not singing in person doesn't mean we can't still learn new songs. So after I preach on Psalm 62, Angela will teach us a song based on its lyrics that I hope can fill your hearts and fill your homes as you sing along and sing to the Lord. Okay, so Psalm 62 was another song written by David, likely during his reign as king of Israel. The superscription there says it was written for a choir to sing, but even though this song was written with others in mind for other people to use, it was a very personal song. David uses a lot of, of first-person eyes and mys here. So he addresses a number of different audiences in it. And then Psalm 62 is also a rather intense song, written while David was clearly under great pressure. He feels that his life is in danger, and it likely was. He feels alone, and he feels helpless, all of which I think we can relate to right now, feeling the frailty of life, the loneliness of isolation, and a helplessness to do anything about it. So in that state, here is what David sings. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. 
From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. It's easy to ask things like, what are you trusting in? And it's easy for us to answer, well, I'm trusting in God, because we assume that we are. But are we? Are we really? When life gets shaky, what are we hoping will save us? Our own strength, wisdom, experience, other people's support, therapy or counseling, or during our current world crisis, effective social distancing, distancing, the health system, a vaccine, the government, steady work or a new job, financial bailouts, a miraculous stock market recovery, there's only one thing that will ever truly be our salvation, and that's God. As we'll soon see, David seems concerned about possible insurrection in his courts. He thinks some people were plotting to overthrow him and take over his throne. But as he sat and, and pondered the crisis he was in, in the silence of his own thoughts, he wasn't waiting for his army to come and rescue him from a coup. He wasn't trusting his own royal authority or, or legendary reputation to save him. He says he was waiting on God alone to come through. Did you see that? It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly Shaken. Now those verses are almost repeated later on in verses 5 to five and 6, almost as a chorus, with slight variations. So this really is the central thought of this psalm, that God alone is our salvation. But then the application of that truth is that we need to trust God, and we need to wait on Him. Verse 8 I think really sums up this point for us. You can look ahead here quickly. In verse 8 it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Trust in him at all times, O people. Whether in 2020 BC or AD 2020. Trust in him at all times. Whether in good times or bad. Whether in prosperous or lean seasons, whether in health or in sickness, whether in community or by yourself, all times. And I think Psalm 62 is going to give us four reasons or ways that we can trust him at all times. So first, we can trust in God at all times, even when we have to wait in weakness. We can trust in God at all times, even when we have to wait on Him in weakness. I think waiting in weakness is a good description of how David felt here. I don't know why such a, a renowned warrior and powerful king felt so weak, but he did. He feels vulnerable, exposed, in danger. 
It's a stressful situation. Tim Keller comments on this psalm saying that this is a psalm for those under stress. And the first verse is the key to facing it. When we are in trouble, our soul chatters to us. We have to have this or we won't make it. This must happen or all is lost. The assumption is that God alone will not be enough. Some other circumstance or condition or possession is necessary to be happy and secure. David, however, learned to tell his soul, I need only one thing to survive and thrive, and I have it. I need only God and his all-powerful fatherly love and care. Everything else is expendable. When this realization sinks in, you will never be shaken. Isn't that true, though? Like When we're in trouble, our souls tend to be anything but quiet chattering to us as Keller says now I think it's worth asking in order for you to be happier or more secure today what is the what is the first thing that your gut tells you that you'd want or need to be happier to be more secure be honest with yourself do you think that God alone would be enough for you If a depression hits our country and, and you lose your job, your home, your savings, if the coronavirus hits your family and you lose a loved one, or your own health, what is it that you have to have or you won't make it? Is there something that you have to somehow hold on to or life won't be worth living? What is it that, that must happen or all would be lost for you? I suggest that how we answer those questions might be what we are waiting on and trusting in. Now, I don't mean to be a downer here if that convicts you. I, I actually mean to instill hope in you. I want you to see and believe that you need only God and that everything else is ultimately expendable. I want you to see that God is salvation, a rock, and a fortress, totally trustworthy. That as you look towards an uncertain future, you can be certain about one thing, that if God is your salvation, you will not be greatly shaken no matter what happens. Having Trust in God has to do with things yet to come in the future, right? Our trust might be based in the past. We trust God because of his past works. But what are we trusting him for? We're tr we trust God that he's going to save us in the future, right? That, that sin will not conquer us, that death will not keep us, that the devil will not beat us, that, that hell will not claim us. And even in the short term, we're trusting that he will walk with us and see us through until then. So trusting in God is a, is a confidence, a, it's a belief, a hope, an anticipation. Or as David puts it here, it's a waiting. Waiting for the Lord. Dane Ortland observes that times of public panic force us to align our professed belief with our actual belief. We all say we believe God is sovereign and he is 
taking care of us, but we reveal our true trust when the world goes into meltdown. What's really our heart's deepest loyalty? The answer is forced to the surface in times of public alarm. Notice here, David says that he's waiting for God in silence. Maybe he found a, a quiet room in his palace, or he's taken a, a quiet walk out in nature. The silence was obviously good for him. Some of you in your isolation right now might, not, might have a lot of silence in your life. And if you do, don't just fill that silence with all the, the latest noise and clamor and complaining and worrying online. Take opportunities as you have them to sit in silence and wait on the Lord. Singing and praying and listening to him speak in his word, it'll, it'll do you good. Don't waste your isolation, in other words. Some of you in your lockdown are not having quieter days at all. You're forced to, to live in close confines with your family 24-7. And that's not quiet, that's chaotic. Or you work in healthcare or another essential service and things are crazier than ever for you. I think in these situations, finding moments like this of silence is that much more important. Taking advantage of, of the rare moments that you may have, maybe early in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe during nap times, maybe whenever, but in sitting down with the Lord and intentionally fixing your heart on Him. Like, how might we wait on the Lord during this season? How can we personally prioritize this? In verses 3 and 4, we get a window into the danger that David felt as he actually addresses his enemies. Look with me. It says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly... They curse. And we don't know exactly when David wrote this, what exactly was going on, but like I said earlier, there was obviously some plot to overthrow him. Conspiracies and, and palace intrigue and lies had reached David's ears. And he thus felt very vulnerable. He says, how long will you attack him? And to batter him like a, a leaning wall, a tottering fence. In 2018, when tornadoes tore through Ottawa, I remember seeing a number of tottering fences around town. And, and, and these fences were quite the picture of instability, insecurity, even pointlessness. Like if, if, you, if I walked by one, I either wanted to try to set it back up or pull it down the rest of the way. Like what's the point of it just leaning there? For David, he felt like that, and it was like people were kicking him while he was down. He was already breaking. In David's power, he was the target of envy. And in his weakness, he was an easy target. Now back in verse 2, David believed he wouldn't be greatly shaken. But in verse 3, he says he's feeling like a, a leaning wall or tottering fence. Quite the contrast, right? But... Both were true. He felt weak, but he believed God would keep him strong. So in his weakness, 
he trusted in God. Have you ever felt a bit like a, a tottering fence or a, a leaning wall before? Maybe you do right now. Feel weak, vulnerable, unstable, like you're toppling, even pointless. Whether this weakness is caused by yourself or other people or by your circumstances, what do you do with your weakness? I would encourage you to take your weakness and bring it to God. You know, the one who chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And the one who said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This truth actually led the Apostle Paul to declare, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That kind of attitude is only possible through God's power. You trust him. How could we trust him so strongly as this? That seems impossible. Short answer we shake, he doesn't. That's what I think David's trying to express through these central verses here that we can trust in God at all times, for he is an unshakable Savior. And we are not unshakable. But he is. We can trust in God at all times, for he is an unshakable Savior. This is what it means that God is a rock and a fortress. As he says, he alone, in verse 2, is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. When you think of the picture of a fortress, think of walls of stone like castle walls. The message paraphrases, he's solid rock under my feet. An impregnable castle, I am set for life. Then look down to verse 5, where I mentioned it's basically a chorus. Few words are changed up. My salvation becomes my hope. Alone becomes only. Takes out the word greatly, so now he believes he won't be shaken, period. But the big change here is that in verse 1 and 2, David is talking to anyone who will hear his song. But in verse 5 and 6, he's talking directly to himself. Look at it. It says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. So he recognizes the need to, to drown out the voices of fear and despair with truth. We saw this recently when we looked at Psalm 42, the need to, to preach truth to ourselves constantly. And I quoted Paul Tripp at that time, who says, No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. And you're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, organize, analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. So what are you saying to you about God and your circumstances? Do your words stimulate faith, hope, and courage? Or does your talk stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? 
Do you remind yourself that God is near, or do you reason with yourself that, given your circumstances, he must be distant? And can you take the, the truths of Psalm 62 and preach them to yourself today? Like, say them out loud, okay? Demand that your soul wait for God alone. Remind yourself that, that your hope is from Him. Tell yourself again that, that He only is your rock and your salvation. And then encourage your heart that if He is your fortress, you will not be shaken. Listen, we cannot save ourselves from bacteria or sickness or financial loss, let alone sin, death, or eternal loss. We need a Savior who's stronger than all that. And thankfully, we have one in Jesus who came to earth, dying our death, and then defeating death for good. And now, as 1 John 5 says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So it's when we put our trust and faith and belief in Jesus that we're saved. That's the only way to overcome this crazy and deadly world that we live in. So have you personally and consciously put your trust once and for all in him? Who or what is, is going to see you through today, tomorrow, and forever? Yourself? Good luck with that. Someone else? Prepare to be disappointed. Money? Blink and it's gone. Health? Or will you put your trust in the solid rock that is Christ today? If you know you need this and you, and you want this today, if you're online, just please message us right now. And we can't save you, but we would love to point you to the one who can. And because I trust him, I can then declare along with David in verse 7, On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge, is God. A couple years ago, Angela and I traveled to Arizona, and one day we took a hike up a mountain trail near Sedona to a natural rock archway called Devil's Bridge. And at the top, there were a, a couple dozen hikers up there with us admiring the view. And, and one by one or two by two, we carefully walk out on top of the arch. It's actually quite safe to do so, but it looked and it felt scary. Made for some awesome pictures though. Barring an earthquake, the rock bridge, the rock archway, it was, it was totally safe. It was sturdy. It wasn't going anywhere. Like, that was my one thought as I'm out there, like, please, God, no earthquake right now. 
but we still felt quite a bit more secure and safer when we were back on the mountain. Once we left that and got onto the mountain. See, I don't think that God is like that arch at that rock archway. It didn't fill us with a lot of confidence. God is like the mountain. He says, David says he's a mighty rock. Not a little dinky rock. He's a, a mighty rock and a refuge. Like, we are totally safe standing on him. We can have absolute confidence because he's a mighty rock. And we can rest our salvation and our glory, our reputation, our honor on him. Him, on God, rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. I already read it, verse 8 earlier, but look at it again now as David turns back to people around him. He says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now notice that middle line. It shows a critical way that we can express our trust in God. We can trust in God at all times by pouring out our hearts to Him. By pouring out our hearts to Him. By praying, essentially. Trust in Him at all, pe at, at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. So take what's inside you, whatever thoughts or concerns or confidences or worries or doubts or beliefs or fears or joys or questions and pour those out to the Lord. That's prayer. And you want to know what practical trust looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. It looks like a man or a woman or a child on their knees before the Lord. Like we heard Philippians 4 say last week, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know why God's peace will guard us then? Because we trust him. So I simply ask, when you feel under pressure, alone, discouraged, in danger, weak, or helpless, do you pour out your heart before God? We should. There's refuge, safety, and comfort there. And even if our thoughts aren't very quiet, God can handle them. He's a mighty rock. But, but pouring out our hearts and waiting in silence are both forms of prayerful trust. Derek Kinder says, Together, there could, be hard, there could hardly be two better expressions of the spontaneous unburdening of oneself, which is one side of the matter, and the disciplined expectancy, which is the other side. John Piper points out that really, verse 8 here could well be written in reverse. As God being a refuge happens first, and thus we pour out our hearts to him, which leads to trustful peace at all times. We can wait on him. And we can 
because we have firm confidence that he will answer our prayer. Unlike the many other things we might often put our trust in. See, we can trust in God at all times, for he's the only Savior who will never fail us. We should trust in God at all times, for he's the only Savior who will never fail us. In verses 9 and 10, David tries to expose the false hopes of other things we think might save us, starting with people. Look at it, verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. And he's saying that, that no one lives forever, doesn't matter who you are. Lowborn, highborn, low rungs of society, men or women of rank. And we're all just breaths and delusions, vapors, puffs of air we're gone. He says that if you took some of the most powerful, impressive people around and some of the lowliest, poorest people and you weighed them on a scale, the scale wouldn't tip one way or the other in significance. Like even put us together and we wouldn't even register on the scale. It's like in the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Point is we are small Fragile, short-lived people. But we like to imagine we're invincible. We tune out any reminders of our mortality. That is, until we're sitting at someone's funeral. Or the doctor gives us some bad news. Or we watch a pandemic sweep across the globe, which infects everyone from people living in poverty to princes and prime ministers and professional athletes. Lowborn, highborn. There is no reason for us to put confidence and trust in mortal man. None. And if we want to trust in God alone, we really should repudiate our trust in humanity. We, we can't fully trust either common people or cultural elites. We can't fully trust scientists, doctors, politicians, even our friends and family. And, and hardest of all for us to learn, we cannot trust ourselves. No certain status in life will save us. No rung of a ladder will satisfy us. No degree or career path will fulfill us. No health will forever sustain us. So if we can't trust the people, then what about wealth? Nope. Verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Now, you might not be tempted toward extortion or stealing. Maybe you are. But David is like, do not trust that crime will ever help you. It's, it's a vain hope. You may actually get rich, whether via crime or honest means. But don't set your heart on riches. Another way to say, don't trust in them. 
Why not? Well, scarcely needs to be said, but they don't last either. Either riches will die off, or you will die off. It's inevitable. Kinder comments, absorption with riches counts as no less perilous than a life of crime. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And boy, do we need this reminder big time today. As our economy takes a nosedive. Right? Our world is watching some of its cherished idols being torn down before their eyes. And I'm afraid they're likely some of our own idols too. When people lose their idols, it leads to sorrow, despair, or worse. But wealth will always come up short as a god. It never satisfies like we think it will. A better job will not save you or your family. More insurance policies, better investments, nicer things, they can all disappear overnight. Heard so many people this week, some of you and myself included, talk about using this global crisis as an opportunity to make cheap investments. I don't think that's wrong to do, but be really careful about your hearts. Be really careful about your hearts. 1 Timothy 6 gives a stern warning to Christians. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The reason Psalm 62 says, For God alone my soul waits, is because all other gods will fail us, but God won't. Right? He's the only one who will never let us down. All other ground is sinking sand. So is your trust in him today? Like here's the rock solid reality. Look at verse 11. It says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That's just a way to say this idea is certain. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. So, what two things belong to God here? Power and steadfast love. Like, he owns these things. He's got a monopoly on them. He defines them. And any power or love that we have comes from him. The final part of verse 12 also reminds us that God is fair and just in what he does. But I want to close by focusing on what it means that power and love belong to God. On the one hand, if he is all-powerful or omnipotent, then he is strong enough by far to save us. And on the other hand, he is all-loving or omnibenevolent, the Hebrew word is hesed here, which contains the idea of faithfulness. It's a, a covenantal love, a steadfast love, an eternal mercy towards God's people. And what this means is that God not only can save us, but that he wants to save us. 
If we are to put all of our trust in him, then both sides of this are equally important. Why would we ever trust a loving but incompetent God or a powerful but hateful God? Like we wouldn't. At least we wouldn't want to. But a God who owns both power and love in their purest forms, him we can trust. Don't miss the fact that in verse 12 is the only time in all Psalm 62 that David addresses God directly. Did you notice that? It says that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. It's when he gets to God's love that things get really personal. He can't help but turn his prayer into praise. God, you're, you're so good power and love belong to you. I mean, if you think about it, we don't know how this story ended. Even if David died from an eternal perspective, he wouldn't have been truly shaken. There is not much you can depend on in life today. Community, your country, your wealth, your job, they can all be shaken. But those who put their trust in an unshakable Savior will never be shaken. Amen. Do you believe that? If so, then trust in Him at all times, oh my people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as our idols are torn down around us to reaffirm our trust and our faith in you alone. May we trust you in these difficult days, no matter what comes in the days ahead, that our hope and our trust would be on you. We trust you for this and we praise you now. In Jesus' name.